chapter 34. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Today, this morning, as you are well aware, we are celebrating 245 years of the independence of the United States of America. Of course, we were not independent on the day that we declared it. We had to fight a war to make that independence complete, but we're very, very grateful for our nation. We're celebrating our nation's birth this morning, and uh, thank you so much for honoring our nation and celebrating uh, our nation's independence. Before we look into the Word, I also want to give a shout-out and a thank you to those of you who are current uh, members of the U.S. Armed Forces or those who are veterans who have served and your families who have served in the past. We always like to acknowledge on days like this, we want to acknowledge and thank you for your service that, that really uh, has maintained our freedom and kept our freedom, as well as thanking those who gained our freedom so many years ago. I also want to give a shout out and a thank you to members of of our law enforcement, either city, county, or state law enforcement, that uh, there are some of you that are here this morning. Uh, uh, there are many of you that have family members, and in a time, kind of a really weird time, where uh, a lot of people are are putting those persons down. We want to thank you. We want to celebrate you, and we want to uh, we want to express our appreciation to you in our land of freedom that you help keep us free. And so we're very, very grateful for you this morning. Yes, I think that's very appropriate that we just give that out. And uh, we have, we have uh, in the past, in the past few months, and certainly going forward, in fact, some of you on a weekly basis uh, really bless our, our uh, uh, some of our, our some of our law enforcement agencies uh, in the area, and so uh, thank you for doing that. Well, Second Chronicles, if you have your Bible, go ahead and take it, whether electronic or paper, take it in your hand. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1 and 2 are a, a summary or a big picture view of a Jewish king, there were many of them, named Josiah. A big picture view, a summary of a Jewish king named Josiah. If your name is Josiah or you know someone who's a Josiah, this is who you're ultimately named after. This is, this is where the name became popular. Second Chronicles chapter 34 verses 1 and 2 read this way. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, if that is the summary of a life, that is not a bad summary of a life, is it? Notice that again, it says here, in broad terms, it says that Josiah did right in God's sight. I like that. He did right in God's sight. It says that he followed God like his forefather, David. It wasn't his immediate father, but a forefather. That's how the Bible words it. It was his forefather. 
And it also says he was not distracted on that journey of doing right in God's sight. So this is, this is the summary, the, the big picture view of this man's life. Now verse 2 goes back and gives greater detail. Here's, here's the, the greater detail. It says this, in the eighth year of Josiah's reign, so he would be 16, right? He started at eight. In the eighth year of his reign, he's 16. In the eighth year of Josiah's reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year of his reign, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the asherim, the carved images, and the cast metal images. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. You understand here now, so at eight years into his reign, he started at age eight, so he's 16 years old. It says he began seeking God. That means that as a very young person, there are 16-year-old persons here today, 15-year-old persons, and, 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 and that's a very young age, but I point out that somebody, we don't know who, but somebody had an influence upon this young man, this young king, and he began, unlike some of his, some of his ancestors, he began doing what was right in God's sight. And, and I point that out because... There are some of you that have 16-year-olds or 15-year-olds or 8-year-olds. You have children at home or you know children, and, and uh, it, it's a great time to start serving Jesus when you're young. It's really a good thing. Uh, statistics are very clear that the majority of people who serve Jesus Christ throughout their lifetime will st often start very early. Now, it's not too late. If you're you know, older than 16, that's okay. You can still come to Jesus. But, 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 but so many people start serving Jesus as a young person. Some of you perhaps have wondered why we emphasize, why we do so much with things like Mega Sports Camp and Wednesday Ministries and Sunday Ministries, why we're putting in a lot of effort right now in another part of the building, because we really want to see young people serve Jesus Christ. We want to see them avoid a lot of the other things that, that, that this world will, will try to impress upon them because they have a faith in the one true God. So this is what happened. We don't know the details of it, but this is what happened. And then it says, at age 20, it says, Josiah began purging, that's the words that, that, that is used here, it says he began purging the nation of idol worship. Verses 4 through 7 describes how he did it. It says this, They tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and he chopped down the incense altars that were high above them. Also he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved images and the cast metal images and ground them to powder and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Let me just stop here for just a moment. You notice there it talks about the Baals, B-A-A-L-S, and then it also talks about the ashram. These were false gods. Baal generally uh, represented as a, as, a, as a male false god. The ashram or the ashra as a, as a goddess, a female god. Uh, uh, let me say this. I've seen images to them and, uh, or, or, or photographs of Baals and, and Asherah. And they are essentially pornographic. Uh, horrible, horrible stuff. Uh, they, they, they were vile to the extreme. 
It says here he did all this, tore down and so forth. And then it says he burned the bones of the priests or the, the false priests to these false gods on their altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphtali in their surrounding areas. He also tore down the altars and crushed the Asherim and the carved images into powder and chopped them uh, chopped down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. So this young, still relatively young man, about age 20, he is a man who's on a mission. This is why we still name people after Josiah. This is a man who's on a mission. You see, for generations, many Jewish people had given themselves to worshiping these pagan gods. It's not how it started. Remember, these are the, the, the Jewish people were those who were set free from slavery in Egypt. These were special people because God, starting with Abraham, said you and your descendants are going to be blessed. But these blessed people in incremental ways went further and further into the worship of these pagan gods that were in the greater society around them. Incrementally, they had given themselves over to this. They had sacrificed to those gods, small g. They had sacrificed to these gods. Sometimes, uh, history records that sometimes they even sacrificed, get this, they sacrificed their children. I mean, all of their hard-earned goods, they would take, they would take grain and they would take meat that, that, that came at a high price, and they sacrificed them. And sometimes, even in a desperate attempt to please a non-existent God, they even sacrificed their children. So directed by this one man named Josiah, who God got a hold of his life, directed by this one man, all things related to this paganism were torn down, were chopped down, were ground down. It says here that they even burned the bones of the priests to these false gods. Man, I'm this is, again, this is a man who's on a mission. They went through the land like a wrecking crew, pulling all of this stuff out and saying, all right, no more, no more. Now, it, it talks about this elsewhere, not here, but I, I need to add this. Not everyone, I promise you, not everyone was excited about all of these different uh, things being removed. Not everyone was happy with it. Remember, for generations, some of these people had been making great sacrifice. Some of them had given even their children. They were saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're tearing that down? We want to please these gods. I promise you, not everyone was happy about all of these things being removed. Let me just add this. Whenever, even not only in that day, but in this day, Whenever anyone says these things should not be and we are going to do everything we can to remove them, not everyone's going to be happy about it. There is going to be some pushback. There are going to be some people that are very, very upset. Still to this day, whenever someone directed by God stands up and says these things should be not be, they had better brace themselves because the enemy is going to push back. The enemy of our souls. And he does that often through people. So, so there's removal, right? I want you to see that here. There's removal. Uh, by the way, I'm very thankful that Jesus removes things from our lives. Come on, how many here are really grateful that Jesus removes some things from you? 
Some of you can look back, maybe months, maybe years, and you can say, thank God you removed that thing from my life. Thank God I recognized for that, that paganism for what it was. Thank God that I recognized by your Holy Spirit through a relationship with you, that those things are evil and they need to be renounced and they need to be removed. And thank God that he removes things from our lives. He not only gives us things, but he removes things. Hallelujah. Thankful for it. But there was more than just removal in Second Chronicles chapter 34. Verse 8 says, Josiah sent people to, quote, repair the temple of the Lord his God. And then verse 10 says, workers repaired and restored the temple. I want you to see those words. So not only was there removal, but there was also, also repair and restoration. You see, again, big picture here. For so many years, the people had been so, had given themselves, had, had been so preoccupied with the pagan worship, so committed to making these sacrifices to these false gods that the temple of the one true God had fallen into ruin. This temple that had been built by Solomon, it, it had fallen into ruin and, and, and it had been neglected. Why? Because when you worship something false, then the worship of the one true God wanes. Let me say that again. When we give ourselves to worshiping something that is false, when we put our hope or find our identity in something or someone that is not of God, then our worship of the one true God will always wane. This is what was happening. Because of that, they had neglected the, the temple of God, the, the center of their worship at that time. So, so starting with one man, a difference was made in repairing and in restoring. I want you to see that here. There's not only removal, but there's also repairing and there's restoring. But there was still more. While removal and repair and restoration were important, those changes were largely only on the surface. They were only on the surface. Josiah's reforms influenced people's behavior, right? It influenced their behavior because if you no longer have a Baal idol or an Asherah idol to, uh, to bow down to, that's going to change your behavior. If you no longer are allowed to make sacrifices to those false gods, that's going to change how you live, how you operate, how you behave. These things were changing people's behavior but it didn't change their hearts. These people needed something deeper. Verses 14 and following, it says here that while they were repairing, remember they, they started repairing the temple? While they're repairing areas of the temple, it says someone found the book of the law. That means that in some neglected corner of the temple, they found the Word of God. It wasn't the Bible in its totality like you and I have. That would come later. But the law, the first five books of the Bible, probably some of the, the, the Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, these holy scriptures, 
they found the word of God in some neglected corner of the temple. In verse 16, a man brought that book to King Josiah, and the man said this, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord, have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. And then, almost as an afterthought, he said this in verse 18, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book. Please notice that. He said, Hilkiah, this guy, we don't know his name, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book. So there's a priest, but I don't think even the priest knows what it is. He refers to it as a book. God's word, this means that God's word had been neglected for so long that it had become just a book. Don't know what this is, and I mean no, no disrespect, but the, it was like he's looking at this, he goes, they found this book. Here, here it is. Let's, let's move to our world right now. How many people, how many people, not only in our world, but in our nation, how many people, not only in our nation, but in our state, in our communities, look at the Word of God and they go, that's just a book. How many people, how many people look at this and they go, it's just another piece of writing. It's just the, from the minds of people. How many people don't know that this is, in fact, not just a book, it is the book, that it is the Word of God, and that this alone is the Word of God. That though many claim that there are holy scriptures within their false belief systems, there is only one true Word of God, and this is it. Just an example of this, um, I began pastoring about uh, 30 years ago, been in the ministry about 36 years. When I first went in the ministry, um, I would start doing funerals. And one of the things that I often do in, when I'm leading someone in a funeral is at the graveside, often we will, we will uh, recite the Lord's Prayer. This is just one example. Recite the Lord's Prayer together. 35 years ago, when I first began doing funerals, and I would say, would you please join me in the Lord's Prayer? Probably about 90, 95% of the people would recite the Lord's Prayer with me. They had committed it to memory. This is just one example. But now when I do that, in fact, I did a funeral a few months ago. There were probably 60 people there. And uh, in the entire room, I think I heard one other voice than my own reciting the Lord's Prayer. Now, that's just one example, and I'm not saying that that's the totality of the Word of God, but I believe not only in that time had the Word been so neglected that people said, it's just a book, but also in our time, there are many, so many people that just look at this and say, it's just a book. It's just a book. So the book, God's Word, was read to the king. He, he had someone read it to him. Look at verse 19, it says this. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. And then later in verse 27, it says, he wept. So he, 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 he hears the, 
The, the word of God read to him in, in a sign of grief and remorse and brokenness, he tore, physically tore his robes. It's what they did as a demonstration of deep, deep inner feeling. He tore his robes, and then a, a few verses later, it says that he wept. A number of years ago, someone once told me that when God really moves on someone, they laugh. I disagree. I believe that when God really moves on someone, they will weep. They will be so moved internally that the only response that they have is a brokenness even to the point of weeping. And this is what happened to Josiah as he's hearing the word of God read to him. This means that Josiah repented. It means not only is there an external thing, we need to do this, but there's an internal change in response to God's word, which is anointed. This is why it's unlike any other book, because the author of this book is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit still anoints this book. And so when it's read, when it's recited, when it's studied, when it's applied, when we hear it, it moves us deeply, and we are, we are broken. Just reading this will not break us, but if, if our hearts are, are broken because of, of the truth that we understand in God's word, then repentance can happen. And again, we don't have all of the details, but Josiah, he hears the word and he begins to repent. He's so internally broken, he, he repented before God. He, he's broken. In verse 30, Josiah read then God's word to the people. It wasn't just, it started with him, but it didn't stay with him. He heard it, but then he said, no, it's going to be read to all the people. In verse 31, it says, the king restored the covenant or the promise that was made with God many centuries before to follow him and to keep his commands. In verse 32, it says, the people pledged themselves to God. And in verse 33, it says, as long as Josiah lived, the people followed the Lord. It's amazing what can happen when God moves upon one person. It's amazing what can start with just one person. In the long history of the Jewish people, which really continues to this day, in the 2,000-year history of the Jewish people, this time that we're looking at right here, 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and surrounding chapters, this was one of the greatest periods of true revival in all of their history. By revival, I don't mean a few days of meetings. I don't mean a special guest. I don't mean necessarily a stirring of emotions, though emotions will be a part of it. They will follow it. But rather, there is a great awakening. True revival is what happens in people's hearts when they recognize where God is and they recognize where they are and they realize that there's this great chasm in between. Revival happens when there's this great awareness and we go, God needs to do something in me. They recognize their sin. They see their sin and they repent of their sin. There is this great, this great spiritual awakening and it becomes a turnaround time. Many of you have experienced something like this. 
You are living in a certain place, not geographical, but spiritual. And, and you, somebody brought God's word to you. Maybe you read it, maybe you heard it. But the Holy Spirit energized your heart and you realize there's something in me that's wrong and, and you, you begin a spiritual awakening. And it, begins a, it becomes a turnaround time where from that point forward, you recognize that there's a change and I'm never going to go back to that way. And your life is forever changed. And I mean forever changed. And this is what happens. And in this case, here in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, it started with just one person. Now, like that nation, a long time ago, like that nation, our nation has strayed far from so much of the godly heritage that it was founded upon. Let me be very clear on something. I am not equating, as some do, the United States of America to the, 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 the nation of, of Judah at this time. I, I am not. That was unique. That was very, very special. But I also know my history that our nation, though they were imperfect men and, and women, and, and while they had their flaws, so many of the principles upon which our nation was founded were godly principles, were biblical principles. I won't go into length at this time. I don't have the time. But so many of the documents are very, very clear. We are a nation that had a very interesting and unique founding some godly principles that we're founded upon, and yet we have strayed so far from much of that godly heritage that we once had. It's never been a completely 100% Christian nation. It never has been because a nation cannot be saved, only the people within it. And yet we have strayed so far from that. Our culture has moved away from God, and it increasingly dismisses godly things. We really are, folks, at a time, and maybe you've thought of this, I'm, I'm, I've lived a long enough time now where I have a little bit more greater perspective, and in my time, in, in, in my years, I don't think we've ever come to a time that is quite as much like Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 that says, they call the things which are evil good, and they call the good evil. We're living in a time in which in increasing ways, the things that are evil or that were once considered generally considered evil, even just a few decades ago, are now considered good. And the things that were considered generally good are now considered evil. Now, I know that much of it is vocal. I know that, that we have to be very careful of that, that the loudest voice does not speak as is, is the largest voice, but... But we see this. Our culture has moved away from God and it increasingly dismisses godly things. In our nation, I, I have traveled a lot. I have never within our nation seen an ashram or an idol to Baal. Never seen one here. And yet there are countless idols of greed and lust and power and pride. They may not be a, an object in someone's home that people burn a, 
a sacrifice to or bow down or pray to, though that does happen, but no more often it's something in which people find their identity or they find their hope or they find their comfort in that thing. And it is essentially, it has become a false god, small g. It is, it is a false god. Let me just read in general terms that list again. Idols of greed, idols of lust, idols of power, and idols of pride. <laughs> there are even new idols, and I'm, I'm going to go on the record. I know that there's going to be pushback from this, but there's a relatively new idol, or it's, it's, a, it's a recast idol. There are people that are, are bowing down to a, uh, an image that says that we can choose our gender. That's a false God. That's a God in which people, a false God, in which people sadly, and, and I say this with brokenness, people are sadly trying to find their identity. Here's the thing. Not only that false God, but all false gods promise fulfillment, but they deliver only hopelessness and death. Let me say that again. All false gods promise they promise one thing, but they deliver something, something else. They promise that we will, they promise that we will, if we do that, we will find fulfillment. If we, if we attain this, then I will be happy. If I get to this point, or, or I do that, or I arrive there, then, then I will find the fulfillment. And yet, every false God, my friends, every false God that has ever been or ever will be, there is only hopelessness and death. See, that's what we have to understand. That we have to point out the things that are ungodly. We have to do that. And we have to tell people we cannot, we must not find our hope, our identity, our comfort in those things because they will always lead to spiritual death. That's the reality. As citizens, we have a part we have a responsibility in removing those idols for the good of our society, for the generations that will follow us. I mean, when it comes to a time of an election or when it comes to the, the voting on some kind of a referendum for something, when it comes to persons of it, we need to do everything we can to remove some things for the good of our society. And get ready. Whenever we, we try to remove someone's idol, they will not like it. But here's the thing, we need more than just removal. We need more than that. There are things in our nation that need repairing. There are educational systems and legal systems and governing systems, even business systems that need to be repaired. They need some attention. I want to give another shout out to anyone here this morning or anyone listening who is involved in, in repairing things within those systems, within our educational systems, within our legal systems and our governing systems, our business. Thank you for standing up and saying, all right, we need to fix some things within this. But hear me, from an eternal perspective, removing and repairing <coughs> will at best only address people's behaviors. There must be something deeper. 
We could vote all the bad stuff out, vote all the good things in. We can repair these different systems. We could address and reform all of those things. But it will at best only change people's behaviors. It must, there must be something deeper. You see, like at that time, this time, in this time, this book, again, has been neglected or even forgotten. This book has been pushed aside. But when God's word penetrates the hearts of people and they are broken before the Lord and they repent of sin and they surrender their lives to the only true Savior, Jesus Christ, then and only then will people find true fulfillment. We can have a society that is, is wonderful, that has a, none of the bad things and all of the good things. We can repair all of these things and we should do our efforts to do that. But even if we were to attain that, it's only when God gets a hold of a person's heart that there is true, deep, and eternal change. Because it is the eternal and the soul-changing message of Jesus Christ that changes us forever. Let me say it again. It is the eternal and deep, heart-changing message of Jesus Christ that changes us forever. Folks, that's what we need. That's what we need. Oh, when it comes election time, we should do everything we can to get good people in and bad people out. When it comes to things in our, in our state, in our city, in our nation that, that, that are not, we know that the end is death. We need to stand in the way and say no. For the good of our nation, no. But we need to look beyond that. There needs to be not just a national reform. There needs to be an internal deep repentance. We need revival. We need revival. That's what we need in our nation more than anything. We need people to recognize their need for a Savior. In our sanctuary, against the wall to your left, you see an American flag. Go ahead and look at it. It's not just there for today. It's there every day. That flag, that flag is the premier symbol of our nation. The nation in which you are in right now, the United States of America. There, there is no other symbol that quite identifies more than an eagle, more than Air Force One, more than it is that flag that when you see that flag, it represents, it symbolizes our nation. It does not represent a perfect nation. But it is a nation that has done so much good in this world in spite of its flaws. It represents a nation that is still free. I'm very grateful for that flag. And I want you, as I shared earlier, I want you to pray for our nation. And as we're instructed in God's word, we are to pray for those who have authority over us. The Bible tells us that. It doesn't mean we only pray for those that we agree with. Sometimes I have found I pray more for those that I disagree with. But we're instructed by God's word to do that. On the wall to your right, you see a cross. Go ahead and look at it. 
It too is, is always there. Every day, we never, ever cover it. I want you to notice that in this room, it is raised higher than the flag. Because to the believer in Jesus Christ, it represents our greater allegiance to a kingdom that has no end. There are some of you here this morning that are from another nation. You're welcome. We're glad that you're here. But while our allegiance can be to a nation, whichever nation you're a part of, in most of our cases it is the nation of the United States of America, but if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Him, then you have a greater allegiance to Him. We have a, an allegiance to this kingdom, not a republic, not a monarchy, earthly monarchy, not a, a, a parliamentary government, but a kingdom whose king is Jesus. And we have a greater allegiance that will far outlast any of our nations. The cross that you see there, the cross that you don't even need to look at to know what it looks like, the cross is also a symbol. It's not an equal symbol, it's a greater symbol. For it represents what Jesus did for every person who has ever lived in any place. Jesus died on a cross and he rose from the dead to set us free, to give us liberty from the destruction of sin and to give us eternal life. Glory to God. Again, as I shared a moment ago, our greatest need in our city Greatest need in our state, our nation. My friends, wherever, wherever you're from, the greatest need in our world is for people to come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning, I want that for every person listening here. For a moment, would you please do this? Would you bow your heads? Because I want to give this invitation. I, I want you to, to experience the transformation that happened in a way greater than even what happened with Josiah. Because Josiah didn't know Jesus. That was centuries into the future. But we understand and we know what Jesus did on that cross. He gave his life so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life through him no one looking around, I'm going to ask this question. If you don't know for sure that you would go to heaven today if you were to die, if you don't know that for sure, you can know. Jesus made it possible for us to know. He gave his life on that cross so that we could have eternal life. If there's anyone here this morning that would like to say, yeah, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure, and, and I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I, I, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. With no one looking around, would you do two things? If that's you, would you lift up your hands and lift up your eyes and catch my eye? And I want to pray with you this morning before we go any further. We're not quite done yet, but is there anyone else here? Go ahead and raise your hands and, and, and catch me. Catch my eye. And I want to pray with you. Is there anyone here? 
There may be somebody who's watching us or listening to us uh, electronically. We want you to respond as well. And there's a place there where you can respond. We want to pray for you. We want to get you some materials. We want to do what we can to lead you into a, la- a relationship with Christ. So please identify there. Is there anyone else here in this room? In a moment, we're going to sing a song that we sang earlier, but, but I want us to do this right now. Would you, again, with your heads bowed, Lord, I pray for any person th- that is here or listening that recognizes, Lord, maybe as your word has gone forth today, your anointed word has gone forth, they've recognized perhaps more than any other time in their life their need for you. Maybe there are some, Lord, listening who have placed their hope, their identity, their their trust, found, tried to find their comfort in a false god. I, I pray, Jesus, that false gods would be destroyed again today. I pray that that our hope in other things or in other persons will be destroyed today, ground into dust and left at at an altar. I pray that for today, Lord. If there will be some listening, Lord, who will will, uh, just surrender their life to the Lord right now, I, I pray that they would do that just as they ask you to come into their hearts and forgive their sins, as they confess you as Lord and Savior. If they say that, that they, they believe that you died on the cross for them and rose from the dead for them. Lord, I believe that a, an eternal transformation will begin in their lives and they will worship the one true God. I pray that, Lord, for anyone uh, today listening to this message. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to stand with me, please. Um, there's a song that we sang earlier, uh, may be familiar to you, may not be, but the words are going to be on the screen, and it's called The God of This City, and we're going to sing this together. I'd like to sing it through one time, and then we're going we're gonna to close in praying for our nation. But I want you to pray the words of this song, would you please? Let's sing this together, The God of This City.
trumpet sounds and your church is taken to be with you where you are. Until then, Lord, we have a tremendous task. Lord, while we are grateful for our nation and we pray for it, that right now don't even know spiritually speaking their left hand from their right they don't know Malachi from Matthew but Lord they're going to know you there are greater things ahead and I pray that you will use these people these people who know you who've experienced that great awakening who've experienced that transformation that you us, Lord, to take the message, the incomparable message of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Help us, Lord. Thank you. Lord, I commit all of these people to you, and I ask your blessing upon them. As they fellowship together, they spend time with family and friends, to celebrate the independence of our nation. God bless you richly. Go in the power and in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you like, these altars are open. God bless you.